0: Welcome back to the Fully Express podcast. I'm your host Christina Roland and I am joined by the powerful Tyson Adams today. Tyson is a trauma-informed men's coach who focuses on sexuality and psychedelic facilitation. From the moment that I met Tyson, I was fascinated by his work. He is so passionate and has done so much of his own powerful healing work to get to this point where he now supports people with some deep, deep stuff and in areas that not a lot of people want to go to or touch or talk about. And his presence is so beautiful and he brings such a beautiful... Um, balance of both the divine masculine and feminine, and is so connected to his integrity, his power, his heart. And I'm just so excited for y'all to hear from him because he's doing some amazing work in this world. Tyson, welcome to the podcast.
1: Mm, thank you. That was such a warm welcome. I really appreciate it. <laughs>
0: yeah, of course. Mm. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Who are you? Who, what brought you to where you are today?
1: Yeah. So I am, uh, I do focus, um, as a men's coach and I'm also trained in internal family systems therapy, but I also work a lot with women and couples as well. And, um, most of the uh, work that I do with women and couples um, happens over the internet, but sometimes um, people fly in. I live in San Diego. Well, we, we live in San Diego. And uh, most uh, when people fly in, sometimes I work in person with them as well. So that could be couples work. That could also be psychedelic facilitation. Um, and then I'm also uh, a body worker, so I'm uh, trained in what it's called bioelectric uh, deep tissue massage, and I um, combine psychedelic therapy with somatic work to do trauma integration and trauma release. Um, so I work in a lot of different ways, and I love it. Um, and then within sexuality, I really do focus in on pornography addiction, premature ejaculation, erectile dysfunction, um, performance anxiety. And the main reason why I uh, focus in on those things is because I've suffered from all of those things. I was addicted to porn for 20 years. Um, I had a bladder um, issue that caused me to have a lot of premature ejaculation issues. Um, And then the doctors gave me too many antibiotics and antifungals, which tanked my nervous system. So then I had really low testosterone. So then I had erectile dysfunction. um, And that led to all kinds of performance anxiety issues that I had to move through. So having now been outside of pornography for about the last six years. That is really what I focus in on. And I focus in on it from a, uh, a place of really helping men to unshame themselves in relationship to that, that type of behavior. So, yeah. So that's, that's a little bit about who I am in a little bit more depth.
0: Mm, Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty that you yourself have um, dealt with all of these issues and thanks for speaking them out loud because i think they are they are words <laughs> and concepts that people are very afraid to speak out loud right pornography addiction premature ejaculation low testosterone performance anxiety erectile dysfunction these are all things that Our society and especially men are taught to be ashamed of, and that not a lot of people are talking about. And if they're not taught to be ashamed of them, then certain parts of it, like the pornography addiction, are incredibly normalized and not seen as problems, or maybe not connected. Like there's not a lot of connection between pornography addiction and premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction. Um, And uh, as you kind of alluded to, a lot of times the solution is doctors giving you maybe things that um, don't really get to the root of the problem. (laughs) Um, so I'm curious to hear more about that journey and, and, um, and how that has really shaped, um, the work that you do and and how you support people through that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So, I first found a Vanna White Playboy when I was nine years old in a field. I was just walking around and there was a little hole in the ground and I moved this board and there was this pile of Playboys. And I remember the first one I pulled out was Vanna White because my mom watched that show. And I remember how that felt. You know, you see your first pornography, you're like, whoa, and your whole system just lights up. And then you kind of, I kind of bent down because I didn't want anybody to see because I knew that it was not appropriate. Um, And then from there, my hometown, I lived in Washington State. It's a very small town, but we were one of the first towns in all of America to get fiber wire put underground. Um, And so I went from basically no internet to high speed, you know, you know, internet where I could, uh, there was a program called Kazaa, which was kind of like Napster, um, but it had video. And so I could download, you know, pornography. And back then there was no thumbnails of what you could you know, what you could see. So you would just download it and then you would push play and you wouldn't really know what it was. It was kind of like lottery porn back then. Um, and some of the things that people put onto those videos, even though they were titled something, they were mistitled. Um, and some of those things that I saw were just really not appropriate for an 11 year old boy. I mean, I was way too young. I had not had any sexual experiences or even had a girlfriend at that point. I mean, I guess I had had a girlfriend, but for the most part, I had really had not had any sexual experience. And so that was really my education around that. And recently, this was about, about three years ago, I went through a trauma training to understand, you know, what is trauma. And what I learned was that trauma is not what happened to me. It's not what happens to you. It's not the facts of life, but it's the leftover energy or how your body responds when something is too much, too fast or too soon right? So the too much, too fast, too soon, um, or not enough over a long period. So that's really the neglect piece. And so I had both of those. I had too much, too fast, too soon, inappropriate pornography at a very young age, and then neglect, which was my parents um, found out that I was doing it and then they asked me about it, but I just denied it. And they really, you know, thinking back on it, they didn't know what was happening, but I wish they would have checked in on me and we would have had a conversation about that, but that wasn't something that happened. So there was also a oh, we're just going to ignore that that thing just happened. Um, And so I basically spent uh, all through high school masturbating daily and regularly, multiple times daily. That impacted my relationship dynamics, um, what I desired from my partners, what I projected upon them. And it caused a lot of challenges within my relational dynamics, especially with my main high school girlfriend. Um, And then I went off to college to the University of Washington in Seattle. I joined a fraternity. I had no idea what I was doing. And so I became one of those sort of douchey frat guys who is, you know, binging on alcohol and going to football games. And our fraternity had a porn chairman who had basically indexed thousands of hours of pornography into porn star and into, um, you know, you know, genre of porn. And there was this rolling joke that you know, you know, stop watching porn at 10 PM because basically nobody could get on the internet. And so you have a hundred men living in one house, all watching porn. There's 15, you know, fraternities on campus. And so you can imagine, you know, at the boom of the internet with pornography, uh, how that, uh, infiltrated culture creating a lot of the misogyny that we're still recovering from today. And, you know, back then it was, um, a rebellious act to watch porn. And now today I might've post yesterday it's actually a rebellious act to to actually quit porn, <laughs> you know, which is that porn has become so normalized that it's really a rebellious thing to do. So, uh, there's so much more to the story, but I'll just pause there because that was already quite a lot, but that was really how this all began for me.
0: Mm, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I really am struck by one thing you said that I don't think a lot of people Realize or are willing to admit um, is that porn and and um, its mass infiltration in our culture over the past twenty years um, has created a lot of the misogyny that we are dealing with now. And I would love to hear a little bit more of that from your perspective as a man, um, especially because. Again, there are so many people who I think would like to deny that. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. So I look at it from a scientific perspective. So, what pornography does is it hijacks our dopaminergic system. Our dopaminergic system is uh, sex and food, you know, and sleep. I mean, those are the main things that we're drawn to in, tr- in terms of survival. And so, when we watch pornography, even if we start out with relatively, you know, PG 13 or rated R porn when we're really young. Um, you know, it basically brings you to this place where you're chasing dopamine and then let's say you have your ejaculation, but what happens is you actually fall below baseline. And then when you're below baseline, you feel lethargic. You feel all of those things that, you know, um, need now a little bit more, uh, intensity in order or a little bit more novelty to get to that same place. So now we chase something that's a little bit more novel or a little bit more edgy, And then we fall below baseline and then we need a little bit more edgy and then we fall below baseline. So basically the idea is, is that no matter where your entry point is, it's going to lead you into darker and weirder and more, um, anxious inducing types of pornography. And often at the far edges of porn is where there's the most misogyny, where there's the most volatility and where there's the most, um, types of pornography that really, um, um, yeah, just create uh, an unsafe world, to be honest. Um, and then when we learn these things as young boys and we watch them, then we want to uh, recreate them because we actually need that same level of intensity uh, that we watched in the porn to get to that same place with a physical partner. So when we go onto these Reddit forums, I go onto them and there's a lot of teenage boys and I start to you know play in those spaces and they're like can you please help me please help me like i i'm a 15 16 year old boy i've never had a partner and now i do want one but i actually can't get aroused with an actual mm-hmm. physical human being because i'm so wired to this digital novelty and this digital type of pornography um so that's an aspect to it and then i would also say you know that there's a just a basic physiological aspect to this that a lot of men are not taught so when we ejaculate and we in our seminal fluid leaves our body, we're basically taking two pieces of New York steak, um, 10 eggs, six lemons and two oranges, um, which is the equivalent of about a tablespoon of life force. And inside that tablespoon of life force, which is our seminal fluid, we have minerals, fats, lipids, sugars, proteins, you know, it's the boron, it's the zinc, it's these really important nutrients, and it's just leaving our body. And so then, as that leaves our body, our organs have to work on overdrive to reproduce our seminal fluid and do cell splits in order for us to, um, to reproduce our, you know, our life force. And so then when we're low on energy, well, then what do we do? We chase all of the other things that are not good for us. The caffeine, the Adderall, the alcohol, the sugar, we binge on porn or excuse me, on dating sites, uh, the Netflix, that kind of thing. So when we consume our life force faster than we can reproduce it, we then consume all the other shit we shouldn't consume. And when we're consumptive, we're not creative. And if we want to be entrepreneurial or we want to actually go for it in life, we need our creativity. We need our life force. So that's kind of the way that I talk to men. I talk to them very logically about dopamine and about how their nervous system works, so that they can get get on board logically and rationally and then we can talk about all of the other beautiful spiritual things that can happen after that
0: yeah yeah amazing thanks for sharing that i don't think that many people are really aware of the uh physiological impacts of ejaculation um and as it relates to porn specifically and um I definitely want to get into the more spiritual and emotional stuff in a little bit, but I also wanted to touch on, you know, you said um, a very interesting point as well, that um, back then when you were first using porn and and in, in your college years, it was a rebellious act to watch it. And now it's a rebellious act to uh, not watch porn. And so I'm curious with the men that you work with, what is... What are some of the barriers that they have to um, letting go of that addiction when it comes to yeah, like the societal expectations around it?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the reason why most men watch porn is because it's the way that they regulate their nervous system, and so when you ejaculate, you feel good, you can de-stress. Um, it's an opportunity to kind of release the uh, the the valve on the nervous systems over. Um, over-functioning effectively. So men don't want to give that up because that's really what makes them feel better. Um, But the problem with that is um, most of the time, uh, a man, I mean, this would be 99% of the men I work with, they began watching pornography and ejaculating back when they were a teenager. So like for me, I was 11, 12 years old. um, And so most men, that's when it started for them. And so what we have to see is, is that uh or what I what I have seen in the way that I work with men is is I do I use internal family systems therapy where we're actually going back in time and revisiting those early adolescent experiences because those are that's where all the rich material is. Right. So I was a chubby kid who with was, was zits and so I couldn't get a girl or we moved homes and I lost all my friends or my dog died or Um, I had a lot of pressure from dad and with sports or, uh, you know, whatever that might be. I mean, there's all kinds of things that, um, created the initial reason why we found pornography and masturbation as a way to soothe ourselves. And so here we are as an adult man, and we're still trapped back there, but we don't know that we're trapped back there. And so then when we get triggered in similar ways, where our nervous system, is anxious or is over uh, or is bored or is sad or sick or anything that we don't want to feel, then we go back to the same way that we know what works and it works incredibly well. I mean, it only takes a few minutes and boom, you get to drown that out. Problem is, is that now we have less life force in our body and nothing has actually changed with our reality. Like literally we actually haven't changed anything about addressing that underlying issue that's back there. So the path for this is to, take a man back into those earlier memories and actually see what was really going on for him. What burden was he carrying? What stressors? Um, and how did pornography and masturbation end up being a tool that was really beautiful? It works really well to soothe him and to keep him safe through those really troubling times. And how might that be something that as an adult man now today, um, as he steps into his more masculine energy and masculine force that we can kind of, um, um, outgrow it. It's the term that I say. It's not about quitting, but it's outgrowing it. Um, And then really to accept that it's not his fault. It's not my fault. It's none of our fault. We are a generation without elders. We have no culture. Like if you look at Taoist culture, you look at cultures around the world where they bring the boys in to teach them these sex practices so that they are stewards of their life force. We don't have that. And so only, I probably, I ran a men's group and there's, couple hundred men in there and there's only been maybe two to three men that actually had some form of masculine guidance by an elder to take him into a more mindful practice with his sexuality so that's the culture that we live in so most men even men that i've worked with have had mothers and fathers throw porn at them and been like here this is what you do and that's the way that they grew up and so we have to just question you know whether or not that's the way we want to continue moving forward so
0: yeah Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's such a great point about, yeah, totally. We're a generation without elders and without that example and um, a generation and a a culture, especially in the United States of not having um, an initiation for men, for boys becoming men and and to learn these things. Yeah. And so I'm also curious, do, do you find that in this journey to um, outgrow porn, as you put it, do men f- feel like there is some kind of social pressure from friends or anything like that when it comes to um, letting go of porn or outgrowing porn as well? Or is it mostly just internal um, and their own struggle?
1: Mm-hmm. I would say that the majority of women that are doing women's work today on the planet, if you're out there and you're single and you're running in those circles with women that are in these circles and they're talking, uh, it will become a requirement. Like women that I work with and women that I know, they will not date a man who's addicted to pornography. Like that's a, that's like a hard boundary. Um, so men that are in relationships with a woman and either she is aware or she's not aware that may not be your reality. Maybe she's okay with you watching porn, or maybe she's not putting any pressure on you, or she's just turning a blind eye. But for the men that are out there that are single and they're going to be moving back into, Hey, I want to date. Just be aware that that's a, that's a pretty much a mandatory deal breaker for women that are in these conscious, like women's circles. They don't want, to date a man who's objectifying his own body and then therefore objectifying his partner. They don't want to feel that. And they also don't want to be out in public and having you with your head on a swivel with every woman that walks by. They want your devotional love and your attention and your care.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely resonate with that. And I I feel the same way. And, you know, I think that this is maybe outside of the circles that I run in now, because I think Um, a lot of the people that I am surrounded by in my close community are very, very intentional about these types of things, but I've definitely heard in the past about couples, women, relationships in which the women, you kind of said this, um, had no idea that the person that they were with was addicted to porn or using it at that level or that frequency. Um, and so I'm curious around that level of shame too, because there's, it seems to be this duality where it's like, it is a rebellious act to to outgrow porn and, and to, um, and to be more sacred about your masturbation practice. And yet there's also a lot of shame around it too, or a lot of hiding. Um, I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the reason why I work with couples is because the woman finds out that her husband or her partner is watching porn and she's trying to make a decision whether or not she should leave the relationship. And she's really upset because it's been hidden for a very long time. Um, and what I remind people, um, like especially women, but what I remind them is, is it didn't start with you. It started when he was young. And so often women make it, them they make it oh my gosh i'm not sexy i'm not beautiful i'm not lovable i'm not worthy obviously if i was sexy lovable worthy and all of those things he wouldn't be watching that porn he would only want to be with me and that's not true so that's the first place mm-hmm. that i start with women um and i say he's doing it for a very different reason he might be doing it because at work that's what he learned is the way that he de-stresses and it has nothing to do with his relationship to you in fact he loves you and the sex that you're having um so that's usually where i come to but i would also say that um the way that a man shows up in the bedroom is indicative of what he is consuming and so Mm -hmm. a man who is watching a lot of pornography is requesting and behaving in ways that don't feel honest and and integral meaning there's not an embodiment that's really mm, the embodiment is often lacking and there's a performance aspect to it. So if you're in a relationship and you're sort of in a place where you're uh, suspecting that your partner, you know, I'm speaking to the women out there, but if you're in a place where you're suspecting that this is what's happening, then, uh, then it's maybe important to ask. And then if you're a guy out there and you are hiding your pornography addiction and you're in this performance place, um, you know, be aware that at some point that question might come because it may feel unnatural because you're not actually in your body. You're in your visual cortex and you're so in that sort of predatory hunt and get mentality that you're not actually in that ability to receive and to actually feel yourself in the experience. You're almost thinking your way through it or fantasizing your way through your sexual experience. And- Partners can feel that whether they're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. People know whether you're actually present in your body or whether you're disassociated and stuck in fantasy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I know I can speak for myself as, and I've definitely had this conversation with uh, female friends that as a woman... I can definitely tell when a man is disassociated and not fully in his body in a sexual experience with me. And it feels very unsafe, actually. (laughs) Like you don't – or I, I'll speak for myself, I have had experiences where I – don't know or don't trust what the man is going to do or where he's going with his body and my body because it's clear that he's not fully there, and so I can I can definitely relate to that and understand that.
1: Um, so mm. yeah, Can really I great. ask you a, Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. So in those in those experiences, have you had the the courage to to say that to slow him down and to actually speak that truth, or what has been What has been, how have you handled those things?
0: Yeah, honestly, no, I haven't. Um, So I've Mm -hmm. I've been, um, I've only had sex once in the past um, almost year and a half. And Mm -hmm. um, that's been pretty intentional. And so I haven't had an experience like that for quite a while now. It's probably been a couple of years. I will say that in the last year and a half, as I've intentionally been taking this time away from um, from physical contact and intimacy with people, um, or been a lot more intentional about it, I'll say, um, I've learned a lot more. And part of the reason why I decided to take a step back was because about a year and a half ago, I had a couple of sexual encounters where it was very clear that both the person I was with and myself were not connected to ourselves. Um, Mm -hmm. I was in the experience really not enjoying myself, feeling a little bit Mm -hmm. afraid, wanting to stop, but couldn't find my voice. And I was also in a very emotional state after the loss of my dad and I was numbing out too. So I like so as soon as I realized I didn't want to be there, I just kind of left my body as well. And so mm. because of that like experience where it felt like probably both of us were not really fully in our bodies, that's what kind of caused me to take a step back from from that level of intimacy. Mm. Um so yeah, no I haven't Yet <laughs> the courage to to have that. And mm-hmm. I haven't encountered that in the past year and a half, but I hope that moving forward, if that is the case, that is something that I, I'm able to to really do and really own for myself, um, and hopefully be with mm-hmm. people who, you know, I don't I don't think anyone's going to be perfect or anything, but hopefully be with someone who's very intentional about it as well. So
1: yeah, thank you for sharing so vulnerably about that, and that's beautiful to yeah to just receive you and. You know, I really appreciate just uh, that level of awareness and being able to voice it. And what I can say is when I'm in IFS, when I'm leading a client in internal family systems therapy is what it's called, but there's this sort of um, uh, prompt that basically we get, which is when you're working with a client and then you lose curiosity about them and who they are um that is often when you're blended with a part that is ultimately causing some level of disconnection between you and them and so sometimes we need to take a take a moment to kind of step back from that experience and reground and breathe and then become and then come back into curiosity and then restart the session so that what you were sharing kind of reminded me of that same uh way of being or that same opportunity which is Whether you're a man out there listening or whether you're a woman out there listening, can we be attuned to our own embodiment, which is am I checking out? Am I losing curiosity? Am I fantasizing and losing track of my partner? Or flip side, I've definitely dated women with complex PTSD, sexual trauma, and I was there and present, but they were no longer there and I couldn't locate them. And then I wasn't feeling safe in the sense that I was taking on. Um uh roles and behaviors that were not me, because I was taking on that which they were pulling me into in that disassociated type of lovemaking that didn't feel safe to my, to me. And I exited those relationships as I became aware of those particular things. So that's the level of consciousness and awareness that I hope that we all get to experience someday, where we're two present parties. Neither party is using each other as a means to an end. Both parties are coming together because the sexual experience is healing and is holing and is spiritually divine and actually feels good. So that's kind of my my vision for people that are listening. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really um, great segue into what I mentioned before that I'd love to hear from you about is the, um, you know, we've heard a little bit more about the physiological uh, impacts. And so I'm curious for the listeners to hear more about the emotional and spiritual impacts of the practices that, you, that you've been doing and working with men on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um, the main way that I help men transition from um, what I call mindless masturbation. So mindless masturbation is uh, reactive. It uh, effectively uses your own body as a means to feel better when you don't feel regulated. Um, and it often is, you know, pornography, you know, so I look at that as kind of the McDonald's drive through of sexuality. You just go through, you order the Big Mac and fries and you pull over and you just scarf and you feel shitty at the end. Um, But for a moment, you feel good while you're eating it. And that's it. Um, So what does it look like to be in a more mindful place? So as a psychedelic facilitator, and one that has done lots of ceremony, you don't just grab the cup of ayahuasca and just slam it or like walk outside, you know, or (laughs) eat the mushrooms and just, you know, go drink beer with it, right? Like there's an intentionality that comes with doing sacred ceremony. If you are being mindful with it, right? So basically what I prompt to is, uh, into, is I say, if it were the last time that you were going to masturbate and you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, how would you do it differently than the way that you're currently doing it? So that takes us out of the mindless place and into the mindful place. And then what I have them do is meditate and or journal on that aspect. So what would the lights be like? What would the ambience be like? Would your house be clean or dirty? What would the music be like? What would the you know, lubrication be? What would your clothing be? What would the toys be? What would your breath be? Um, And what does that look like to not race it? Because it is the last time and you know you're going to die tomorrow. So how would you do it differently? And then from that place, once you do have your experience, whatever that looks like, can you actually be with it for a moment? Can you actually sit in your pleasure and allow yourself to have it instead of cleaning up like in secrecy, silence, and shame? And so what we're really doing here is as it relates to the emotionality and the spirituality is we are not outsourcing our feminine energy. If we're a man to the external, meaning we're not saying dance for me, baby dance for me, do this perform for me. So I can project my own feminine energy out onto the world. What we're really doing is we're integrating the masculine and feminine within, and we're becoming more more sensual being. And as we become a more sensual and embodied being, then that shows up in the way in which we're more mindful with, their love lovemaking, meaning we're going from premature ejaculation and rushing to all of a sudden being, uh, a lover in the, or excuse me, a King in the bed, right? Becoming an actual lover that is able to embody that King energy where you can have, um, your partner can have multiple orgasms over and over and over and over, and, over and you can hold your life force and, um, and not ejaculate. And therefore you have complete ejaculatory control and choice, which of course, emotionally builds your confidence. Cause now you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not worried. Every time I have sex that I'm gonna lose it. And then from that place also, we then feel that power as we go out into the world, like, oh my gosh, I can hold my life force and I can bring this deep level of pleasure. But in addition to that, whether you're doing it with yourself, between you and yourself, or whether you're doing it between you and your partner, um, that opens up a spiritual connection with, uh, with effectively the, the the chakra systems opening and the body and the systems opening, where you really get to meet yourself in the eyes of of other and to your the, the eyes of yourself, meaning you're moving out of pornography, which is. For men, most men can't look you in the eyes if they're watching a ton of porn into a place where you don't feel that secrecy, silence, and shame. So your capacity to hold eye contact um, with yourself, with other, with your partner also improves. So there's just so many beautiful things that come from these types of practices and becoming really a steward of your sexual energy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I hear the multitude of of positive outcomes. And, um, it actually brought me back this and, um, what you said earlier about, uh, women often taking on the idea that if, uh, a man can't perform in a certain way, it's about her or if, if they are addicted to porn, it's about her. And, um, I definitely had a relationship a few years ago in which my partner consistently, was unable to ejaculate Um, and I definitely made it about me. (laughs) Like like, like Mm -hmm. definitely made Mm -hmm. it about me. And so I'm curious in your opinion how – Um, You know, of course, remembering it it isn't about me and and it didn't start with me or anything like that. But for women in general or partners of men who struggle with this in general, um, what are some other practices or ideas that you could offer that um, supports couples who are kind of navigating um, these things as well?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So circumcision is a big one. Like I'm circumcised. And so resensitizing the penis is really important. We don't realize, but we have way less nerve endings than men that are non-circumcised. That's a big one. Um, Sometimes the penis and vagina just don't fit well together. Um, I've had that experience before where uh, I hadn't had it before, but then all of a sudden that fit didn't work well and I just couldn't feel much. And so it was difficult for me to ejaculate and that wasn't necessarily a psychological thing. Um, but then I've also had psychological things, which is um, I don't feel safe here. Um, this person is not somebody I want to procreate with. So to ejaculate uh, doesn't feel like a, something that I want to do. Um, but then I would say, you know, as far as, uh, you know, couples cultivating better connection, one of the things that I have uh, that I task my clients with to do is if the, if premature ejaculation is one of them or non or their or the inability to ejaculate either or, I'll have a man connect to himself in a mirror, um, so he's looking at himself and then have his partner kind of come around him and tease him in different ways, either to tease him to see how much energy he can build without ejaculating if that's the issue, or if it is because he wants to learn how to ejaculate with his partner then teasing to allow himself to manually stimulate so that he can get used to that. The other aspect to this is a lot of men that can't um, ejaculate It's because they have death grips on their, on their cock. They literally just squeeze it really hard. And so then when you have a vagina that's like soft and supple and slippery it's not the same felt sense and so they're actually training themselves to not be able to ejaculate so there's all kinds of nuanced things and so every couple is a little bit different and i have to ask a number of questions to understand why somebody either has premature ejaculation or orgasmia or they're not able to uh, orgasm so
0: yeah yeah totally totally yeah and so i also heard you say That the spiritual and emotional impacts of um, of these practices, you know, build confidence, um, especially in your ability to perform um, spiritual connection with their themselves and their partner, being able to even hold eye contact while making love and things like that. I'm curious if you could expand a little bit more on the spiritual and emotional, um, benefits outside of in, in a relationship, you know, as, as people develop, um, these tools and skills, like how does it impact other areas of their lives outside of their sexual performance and their partnership?
1: Hmm. Yeah. So there's a mythopoetic map that I teach men and basically it's, it's not a capital T truth. It's just something for men to try on for size and women yeah. can try it on too, but I don't, I just say this to men because I'm a man and I don't know what it's like to be a woman. But basically the concept is that the way that a man treats his penis is the way that he treats everyone and everything in the world. So basically what that means is that if I am self-objectifying my own cock, meaning that I'm not treating it as a part of who I am, and I'm using my cock to feel better when I'm sad or sick or bored or angry or anything I don't want to feel, then I'm psychologically, I don't... This is completely unknown to me, but I am psychologically objectifying self. Therefore, I then objectify nature, my partner or women, and to um, even the way that I transact in the world in terms of business. So as that relates to the way that I look at a woman, I'm objectifying self, I objectify other. As it relates to the way that I look at nature, I don't see nature and the oneness and the the non-duality of uh, what I do to... Uh, nature impacts the whole, it impacts the entire ecosystem and all of the bugs and all of the trees and all of the bees and all of the forest, which is to say that by, um, by being mindless with the way that I treat nature, then it impacts the rest of the world because it changes the ecosystem. And then as it relates to business, if I'm objectifying self, then I'm only befriending Paul to get to Peter. So Paul is just my means to an end to get to Peter. Which is to say that I don't even treat Peter or excuse me, Paul as an actual human being. I'm just treating him as an object in order to get to Peter to extract from Peter too. So I'm extracting in order to extract. So as we stop using ourselves and colonizing our own life force, we then stop colonizing and extracting from women, from nature and from the way in which we transact. And that is a radical idea that spiritually evolves an individual and a collective in massive ways. So what I'm really getting at here is, is I'm speaking to the collective masculine shadow, which is that we don't know we're doing this. And my take on it from a thousand foot view over thousands of years is, well, why does a, why does a man objectify his own penis? And I would say, you know, you have to look at the circumcision reality, which is like, 60% of Americans are circumcised. There's other countries that have 80% circumcision. But the first thing that happened to me as a boy is I came out at 7.37 p.m. and by midnight, I was getting my penis chopped off. So when I think about that, I had something taken from me. I was objectified before I had any agency and something was taken from me. So now here I am moving through my life, destructively entitled, just like something was taken from me. Now I feel destructively entitled to take from other people so what i'm getting at here is is that the way that we're treating our children impacts the way that we treat ourselves and the way that we treat ourselves impacts the way we treat the world and that is a radical spirit, spiritual idea which is that we must move in that direction now if you're out there and you are a father or a mother of a child and you have circumcised your children you know uh, understand that that's not your fault We've been indoctrinated into this by hospitals, by religions, and all kinds of things. Um, and it's uh, something that we need to move beyond. But like, let's be sure that we're kind and loving and we don't shame ourselves because we didn't really know better. And I think that this is that evolutionary process where we're like going to choose to do it differently from this point forward. So that's kind of where I'm at with that as it relates to the spirituality of things.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for your compassion as you, as you share your thoughts around that. Cause yeah, it's definitely something that has been, um, passed down for a long time. And, um, I even have a friend right now who, um, is pregnant with twin boys and, um, her like immediate assumption was that she would circumcise them. And I was like, wait, no, <laughs> maybe rethink that. <laughs> and she was like, Oh, yeah. what do you mean? And, and so it's still very much a thing that people just assume. And even one of her reasons was like, well, have you really ever been with a man who isn't circumcised? Like, don't people find that weird? Like, I don't want my, my children to feel like they're weird. And um, so it's really interesting how ingrained that has been with and accepted that it had, as it has been, um, without much of a reason behind it. Um, so yeah, thanks for your grace with that. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I'd love to ask you to dive into this a little bit more, the part where you talked about, um, the, like a, a child being objectified from birth and therefore he objectifies himself. I think there are definitely some people out there who might be like, What are you saying? Like, what are you talking about? Right. Because I mm-hmm. know myself before embarking on like a more spiritual journey and a, a very deep healing journey. I don't know if I would have fully understood the impacts of um everything on my life, starting from my birth, starting from being in the womb and how that Impacts my consciousness today. Um, so, there for the people out there that are, are kind of like, well, what do you mean? Like, how would a baby know? How does that translate? Like, what? How? Like, how can you possibly say that? I'd love for you to expand a little bit on that, if you would.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's it's a difficult concept to understand because as a child, when you first come into the world, um, this is uh, pre-egoic. We're we don't have an identity we don't uh we don't um consider ourselves male or female we don't consider ourselves as a name we don't have a psychology yet we are just a little blob and we're trying to like learn and grow but when you look at circumcision it's a limbic system trauma which is if you've ever uh, i don't necessarily recommend this but if you ever watched a child online or in person go through circumcision Um, the too much, too fast, too soon is pretty obvious because they start crying and it's really, really painful for them. Um, So the way I look at this is that um, if I come out of the womb from my mother where it's safe and warm and everything's great and I come right into this world and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is intense. And then the first thing that happens is I'm clipped. Well, my own experience is that, well, now mom's not safe. Like this is not a safe place to be. And this isn't a safe environment with this person who has allowed this thing to happen to me. Now, can I prove that? Is it studyable? No, this is information that came through for me in a psychedelic state where I actually was shown this, and then I had to feel it. And not only did I feel my own, I felt into the transpersonal and the collective pain of how that impacts the planet on so many different levels and layers. So as that came through my own system, that awareness landed. And then from there, I began to teach it because it was obvious to me. So it's a difficult thing. If you're a woman, you're not, you know, if you don't have a penis, or if you're a man, um, and you never have done a psychedelic state, it might be difficult to really get on board for it, because it's not studyable, nor is it obvious. But it is definitely um, when you just when you choose, or in my case, I didn't choose, but the mushroom, the mushrooms told me, and it was a 10 gram journey. So it was a very intense experience. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for your honesty and your take on that. Appreciate it. I know that psychedelics are um, a pretty big part of your practice, both personally and professionally. So I'd love to hear a little bit more on that and how it impacts the work that you do.
1: Hmm. It's a broad, (laughs) it's a broad (laughs) uh, road to, to travel down. Um, Let me first say that I, I just did a year, almost a year of sobriety. So I did a year of sobriety of psychedelics, um, obviously no pornography, um, celibacy. I just ended a two year and eight month celibacy journey, but I was celibate during that time. Um, and then also, um, no therapy. So, I I say that because I think it's really important for somebody out there to be like hey if you're out there and you're going hard in the paint and you're taking psychedelics every week or every few weeks um be careful there's emotional addictions there's physiological addictions there's also the ontological you and I spoke about that the other day at beacons but that ontological is like what's my purpose what is god what am i here to do why like there's there's got to be more to this than what i'm doing Than making money or doing this job that I hate. So just be aware that if you are somebody who's uh, out there and you're thinking about doing psychedelics or you are doing psychedelics, that you know integration starts before the ceremony begins, and having somebody who's psychologically trained in terms of parts work is really critical in order for integration to work very well or to work well. And then the other aspects to integration that is really pretty much left out is the nervous system regulation related stuff right so for me it's always i'm at my friend's my friend's house here and uh, he's got cold plunge and sauna so anytime i do a big psychedelic journey i'm i'm doing hot and cold or i'm going to go jump in the ocean Um, i also do a lot of float tanks in order to still my nervous system Um, and then i have three different psychedelic facilitators and um and therapists one that you know, she specializes in this, um, another two, they also, spe- well, they actually they all three specialize in psychedelic therapy. So having therapists, having men's groups, and then having nervous system regulation work, and then having my diet, um, pretty dialed. I have really developed a really good psychedelic, uh, process. And now when people come to me and they want facilitation or integration, I'm not just addressing, hey, take this thing and you'll be good. No, no, no. Hey, take this, whatever it is. Take this pill, take this fungi, take this cup of whatever and understand that this is just the gateway or the doorway to the deeper shadow work and the deeper integration work. It's not the cure-all. In fact, it's not the cure-all at all. And in fact, a lot of people that are in the sort of neo-shaman space or the psychedelic space are often marketing it as that and that's just not what it is. So yeah, so those are some thoughts just to... Get the psychedelic conversation started.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I appreciate that answer so much because, yeah, as we talked about, it, there is totally that ontological addiction to um, this kind of like, what's next? What's next? Um, what more can I heal? What more can I do? What more can I discover? And I think it is such a, a big part of why I resonate with you and what you do as well because of this high level of integrity that you have around it as well, where, yeah, it's not the cure all. It is not the thing that's going to um, heal you. Like, um, yeah, I, I say something similar to what you just said. I think you said the integration starts before the ceremony starts. And I usually tell people that like the ceremony begins the second you say yes right so what like how many weeks out mm-hmm. that is or days out or whatever that it it's all all a part of it um so the preparation the integration afterwards um is all a huge part of it and i know plenty of people who have worked with psychedelics and not experienced any deep change um or mm-hmm or not integrated anything that they've seen or learned into their lives. So I really appreciate your, your insight and your integrity in that way as you talk about it.
1: Mm, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. My mentor, Jamie wheel says, if you can't grow corn from your journeys, you're probably taking them for the wrong reason. And the way I kind of relate to that is, is if you can't have a psychedelic journey and then come back to this 3d plane and actually build systems and services and offers that actually make the world a better place, then you, you, Are likely missing the mark. Now, mind you, there's a degree of just healing in the beginning that is required. Like you don't need to build anything, but once you've done enough journeys and you've moved through the healing process and you've worked with a with a therapist or you know coach or somebody to help you, then be be aware that if you're just doing it to do it, it's 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 likely a, a bypass of some sort instead of actually something that's really helpful. So yeah,
0: yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Well, I think that that is a great place to go into our last question. Cause I, I do want to hear, um, you know, we talked a lot about your clients and I think this last question will actually really tie it together with you personally. Um, so I want to ask you, it sounds like you're really helping people live their most fully expressed lives through, um, through, outgrowing porn, as you put it through work, dealing with, um, these psychological, um, and physiological impacts of, of, of porn and, um, other trauma. And so I'm curious for you, what does it mean for you to live your most fully expressed life?
1: Hmm. I think for me, it's, Really attuning to my gut, you know this is where I see sort of my first brain. There's you know, looking at it from a nervous a nervous system perspective, the vagus nerve. you know there's more information flowing from the gut to the brain than the brain to the gut. And so for me, as I'm attuning and I'm walking through my day or what or what have you, I'm constantly coming in touch with how do I feel? somatically speaking. And does that behavior or that thing that I just said, is that in alignment or did I bend the truth or did I leave something out? Or is there any form of manipulation or any form of distortion in my message, not based upon what I think is morally right or not morally right, but based upon what my physiological body is telling me. And as I attune to that um, and get real with it, when I catch myself doing that, I actually pause and then I uh, shift and or change and or go back to the person and I shift whatever it is that it needs to be said, whether it's an apology or whether it's accountability or whether it's a, hey, this is what's showing up for me. So that feels to me really important to be fully expressed. And then on a completely different level, it's it's waking up early you know it's drinking my electrolytes it's drinking my mushroom drinks it's doing my body practices it's doing my rings it's doing my you know animal flows it's doing my cold plunges and saunas it's climbing it's surfing it's eating organic it's doing my detox protocols it's uh reading instead of watching and bingeing out at netflix at the end of the day even when i'm tired it gives me more energy and i feel good i sleep better it's tracking my sleep scores it's um building my men's groups building my my offerings it's it's you know um making beautiful love to my partner those types of things uh loving my family repairing my ish, my challenges with my with my folks and my sister and cultivating real relationships with them uh, so that was a lot but that's kind of just me just free flowing and just saying if you're going to go for it it's this one single life, you got to go for it. Have no regrets on your deathbed. Yeah.
0: I love it. I love it. I think that your answer just completely showed how um, once you do the work to come into your fullest expression, it really is so full, right? (laughs) You just listed so many amazing and beautiful things um, that you are just so excited about and lit up about. And I think that that's so cool that you're able to find so much beauty in this life through becoming your most fully expressed self. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Christina. That was really lovely podcast. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Yes, of course. Where can people find you, connect with you, work with you, all the things?
1: Mm-hmm. So my website's not quite done yet. So you can just find me on Instagram and Facebook at Tyson Adams and just shoot me a DM and say, what's up? And uh, send me an audio message. An audio message, I love them. I will respond. And um, yeah, I, uh, I'm very approachable and very uh, welcoming. So I'm here for you
0: amazing yeah and you got some great informative content out there which i love so thanks for the work that you're doing brother thanks for being here
1: yeah thank you as well
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Fully Express Podcast. If you liked what you heard, I'd be so honored if you'd hit that rate and review button and leave us some love. If you want some more content from me and some more connection, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at healing w for with Christina. I am so grateful for you, and I hope that you're inspired to start living your fully Express life today.